Okay, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. All right, so today we're almost, almost done with 1 Corinthians. This is like the last, chapter 15 is the last, like, full chapter. And chapter 16 is, I think, like a verse or two. It's really short. Well, it's a little bit more than that, but it's basically Paul saying goodbye, y'all. But we'll talk about that a little bit next week. Um, before we get into 15, I want to read to you. See, last week we did chapter 14, and there was a verse that came out in our discussions last week that I thought was so, in, like, really profound and really fit what we do here every week. And I want to read it to you. Um, this, I, I like how it's worded in the remedy. And if you all want to look it up with me, it's chapter 14, I think, verse 26. Yeah, verse 26. Check this verse out and tell me what you think. Brothers and sisters, what then is a reasonable and healthy course of action? When you fellowship together, everyone has a song that touches their heart, or an idea which has helped in their growth, or an insight, or an instruction, or they speak a language that they understand best, or have an interpretation that makes most sense to them. But all of this sharing must be done for the building up and strengthening of the entire group. What do you all think of that? That's, I think that's such a neat verse. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. For those of you listening, that smacking sound was one of our members smacking another one. I'm sorry. It was good. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's Violet Lola. It's, it's good. It's just what it is. It's so good. Um, I knew what I was getting into when I married her. And then he goes on further in verse 30 and 31. And if an insight, revelation, or inspiration comes to someone in the audience, the speaker should pause and allow the other to speak. For all of you can speak the truth about God clearly in an orderly fashion so that everyone can be instructed and encouraged. That's really cool. I love that. Because remember, like, Paul's been talking to the church in Corinth, and, and what have those people been like? Like, they're, they're rough, a rough crowd, right? It's a rough crowd. And he's saying, all of you can speak the truth about God and share. And so, I, to me, I just, you know, I just wanted to share that and start our conversation today with, with that, because if you think, I don't, you know, I don't have anything to share because I don't really know, like, what you do. It, it, it's almost like he bestowed almost a blessing on them because it gave a person who feels like, wait, I'm not good enough. I'm just this. Right. Gave them all of a sudden this permission, this blessing to say, look, you are good enough. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's yeah. kind of neat. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how many times have we experienced, you know, even here in our church group and in other groups that we've been a part of, like you're just sitting there and then someone has something to share and they just share it and go, I never thought of it that way before. You know, you have like this click, or that's interesting, and you leave the group thinking about this new concept that someone else shared that you never considered before. And I think it's that's where growth takes place. Yeah. What do you think, Seth? I was just going to say, it happens to me weekly, man. Yeah? Yeah. Like, how so? Say more about that. Uh, I don't know. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I have friends who like to discuss interesting things, so always just new topics. and new concepts coming in and especially when we're talking about local stuff too and 
we're talking about creation, there's so many ways you can go about that. It's like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting when you read the Gospels, and after we get through, starting next, starting August, we'll, we'll be beginning the book of Acts, and we're going to do Acts for 13 weeks, and then we're going to get into the Gospels for a little bit. And it's really interesting when you look at how Jesus taught. Yeah, there was a few times that he preached, but most of the time he sat down with people and had a conversation, and just talked, and taught them and told them stories and answered questions and so it's really neat to emulate some of that stuff. So, All right, so moving forward. Chapter 15. Big chapter. Did anybody get a chance to read it ahead of time? Mm -hmm. Yeah? So for those of you who read it ahead of time, what do you think? What were some insights before we kind of narrow down to our specific verses we're going to focus on? What was the theme of it all? Overall, it was very deep. Yeah. So everything I felt like I had to like reread. You know, go back and reread. It's like, did I just hear that the way I thought I heard that? And, you know, I mean, a lot of interesting things in there. Yeah, for sure. We're interested to hear what you find interesting. All right, what, what do you think? He's, a, he's just like, he, yeah, he's a, he, his writing, in that particular chapter where he talks both sides of a coin real quickly, loses me. So I have to work to get through this. He's a terrible writer. <laughs> so he is, but yeah, it, it's it's. But the message, yeah. though, is quite, you know, quite interesting. Like if it, if uh, if none of this is real, then everything is for naught. Yeah, he makes some really good points, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Super good. Yeah, the themes of the whole chapter fifteen is resurrection, basically. I mean. And the way the notebook Bible, the CSV Bible, kind of laid it out was in these sections, starting at the top in verse 1, resurrection essential to the gospel, and then resurrection essential to the faith, which we know faith meaning to be also to trust, our trust, right, or our hope, or our belief, it's all the same thing. And then Christ's resurrection guarantees ours, resurrection supported by the Christian experience, then the nature of the resurrected body, in verse 35, and then victorious resurrection, starting in verse 50. Kind of really gets in deep, doesn't it? I wonder mm -hmm. if you think about it, like, when he wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, it wasn't in chapter-verse breakdown. It was just it was a scroll, mm -hmm. start at the top, read to the bottom. And I wonder if, as the Corinthians were listening to this, probably by hour, what? An hour? It probably take an hour to read the whole book? Two hours? Mm, the whole book? Whole book of Corinthians? Oh, yeah. Probably, probably an hour or so. Yeah, so they're sitting here listening, and then he gets into this whole big section that's really deep about resurrection. And they couldn't pause and, and say, hold on, can you stop? What What does that mean? Like, they just read it right. Think, just think about that concept. And that just came right after Paul's, the letters talking about how they couldn't be offering food to idols and don't let your women speak and and gyrating around and I mean you know all these things that he just kind of addressed to them I wonder if I wonder how many were completely lost when they got the section I don't think they were that lost because it was spoken to them in their own language I like it okay so there was no interpretation this is an English interpretation of that language and so things are going to get lost when you interpret them. and to that as well if you think about if someone writes a letter to you specifically about your situation 
you understand all of it. Yeah. You get it. Yeah. You get the context. No, Sanger might not expect. Exactly. You get the context. That's good. All right, so today we're going to focus specifically on verses 50 through 58, the last section of the chapter, Victorious Resurrection. <laughs> and uh, what I'd like to do is... Um, Mark, would you be willing to read? I can't see. Can't see the globe? No. Yeah, I'll read it. Okay. Just read a couple verses. Go like 50 to 52. And uh, and then we'll just discuss that a little bit. And then we'll read, someone else will read a few more verses and we'll discuss. And we'll just go down through it like that. Okay. Victorious Resurrection. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. Thank you. That gave you goosebumps? It gives me goosebumps every time I read that. It's so good. I don't get a physical feeling from it, though. It's all right. It's awesome, though. You're hearing trumpets. You're hearing trumpets? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good to do this, to try to yeah. like really engage with it and actually use like your right brain to imagine like what's yeah. the trumpet sound like. Right? Like It's really interesting. So what stood out to you in the first couple of verses? Besides the trumpets, and besides getting goosebumps, and what else? What was interesting about that? How about a mystery? I like how Paul says, I'm telling you a mystery. Here's a question that comes to my mind. When he says in verse 51, we will not all fall asleep, but we all will be changed. How do you, how do you understand that? What does that mean? Like Jesus is going to come back before some people have died, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like. Some people will be alive. Can you imagine that? To be alive with Jesus come. I'm getting goosebumps. It's interesting though that he was talking to these specific people, because obviously they're all dead. Yes. Good observation. So it must have been not just for them. Yeah. It was like a prophetic thing he was saying. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's keep going here. Um, Morgan or Seth, whichever one you want to volunteer, read verse 53 through 54. Read the next two verses. All right. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed, clothed with Immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, and the saying that is written will take place. Go ahead and read that verse. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Can we read the whole, yeah. the whole book again? Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. Think of that. That's actually my favorite part. Yeah? Yeah. I feel like it needs to be on a t shirt. Which one, the verse 55 quote, or, uh, or 54? I do like how the King James has it better. Well, the sure. end, 
The I end of 54 and 55, yes. Yeah. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Off the top of your head, how does the King James word? Can you? I don't remember. Yeah. And death, where is there? That where is I staying? Yeah. yeah. Super good. The message puts it: Death swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word? O oh death! O oh death! Who is afraid of you now? Wow. Very Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, what do you think that? What? How do we? T- how do we understand that? Death has been swallowed in a victory. Where death is your victory. Where death is your sting. Right? So we can go around the circle here a few times and, and try to understand and get some answers. But the answer is in verse 56, isn't it? So, Mom, why don't you read uh, 56 and 58? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Mm. We think. Any questions come to mind over that? I think people are afraid of death because of the... Um, like he says, the power of sin is the law. Uh, I could be completely off of this, but to me, we've been so drenched in the legalism of God, and we're afraid of death. Like, oh my goodness, is my record clear? Um, you know, instead of just resting in God's immeasurable love for us. So that's where death gets its sting. We're always we're fearful that I make the mark. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, but he's saying you know, God takes all that away. Our victory is in Jesus, not in not in keeping every single dot of the law. Anyway, that's all. For sure. Anybody else have any insights or questions or thoughts about that? To you know, like you said, Mark earlier, Paul Paul can write kind of cryptic sometimes. So the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. How does the message read that? The message says it was sin that made death so frightening and the law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, and death are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Interesting. I'm reading this. It immediately took me to, um, I guess it's in Genesis, where it says the wages of sin is death. Like right after Adam and Eve sinned and, you know, the result of that. Immediately took me there just because, you know, that was the condition that happened in that moment when sin appeared. All of a sudden, there had to be a a consequence. Mm-hmm. So, sin, death, and and so I guess that's where it took me to that. Hmm. And, There's a correlation. Mm-hmm. And it just you know, it 
in some ways, I know there are words, but in some ways, it's like it had more of a living power than I really thought about before. You know, before I just read it and it was yeah. words, but it's like when you read this, then it's like, wow, it was a, a something tangible. So, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Like it's yeah. weird because it's a word, but it's more than a word. It's uh, it's reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. real. Yeah, because the law of life is the law of love, and, and it's a living law. Mm-hmm. It's a living system of other-centered giving. And so to, to what you're describing about Genesis, if I'm hearing you correctly, Adam and Eve broke trust with God and no longer gave of themselves. They decided to become selfish. And so then when they, take, they took themselves out of harmony, with that living law of love, just like the metaphor we talk about all the time, you tie a plastic bag over your head, you take yourself out of harmony with the law of respiration, that that act of selfishness, hoarding your carbon dioxide to yourself, leads to the sting of death because you're now out of harmony and you will eventually die. It starts a dying process. That's how, I, that's how I'm hearing you kind of describe that. Mm-hmm. Is that. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the remedy, verse fifty-six. The way the way he wrote it here is: death's bite is sin, deviating from the law of love. And sin's power to destroy comes from the fact that life is built to operate only in harmony with the law of love. Therefore, all deviations from the law result in pain, suffering, and death, unless the law is perfectly restored in the being. That was an interesting too. Um the second part of that where it says and the power of sin is the law because I never really thought about it that way I always thought they were just rules you have to follow these rules mm-hmm. and we're always following these rules you know whether it's biblical or yeah. growing up yeah. and you know you're with your parents or as when you're a parent and you're doing it to your kids and you're you know there's these rules you got to follow you got to follow these rules and then you know to come back to that and it's the sin is what caused all of that to even have to happen, you know, if you think yeah. about it, because, you know. What, yeah. I think is, what I think is really interesting is um, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but what it doesn't say in there is that the sting of death or the power of death comes from God. Like, it doesn't say that at all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, from the, it's from reality. It's the way God... It's, it's the way life is designed to work. It's interesting. I wonder why he says in verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is that relevant to verse 56? What do you think, Morgan? I think he's just taking a dark thing and giving people hope after saying, well, that's not the end, there's a way out. So why is our victory through Jesus Christ? Why is it? Yeah. I don't really know how to answer that. So have everlasting life, that's what you believe? Or... Say again, I couldn't hardly hear you. Everlasting life. Okay. All right. So what does Jesus Christ do for us? His death covered our sins. Okay. His death reconnected us to God. 
you know, he, he came and he showed us who God really was so we could get, we connected a relationship back. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's, I, I don't think we should let it, I might get my words right here, but it shouldn't be, we shouldn't lose the significance of Paul saying in verse 56, death is sin and the power of sin is the law. And then immediately follows up a saying, but thanks to God, and he points us to Jesus. So there's obviously something really significant about those two verses right back to back. Paul's trying to communicate something important yeah. here. The message calls it the gift. Uh, this version says the victory, uh, but the message says uh, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our, of our master, Jesus. So I, this is me personally here, and then I'll, I want some input on this. I don't like how the message used the word guilt. Because guilt implies you chose to do something wrong. But none of us sitting in this room chose to be born sinful. We were born this way. We were born with this condition called sin and selfishness. I don't see the correlation between being born into something and then when you get the understanding of the rules, when you break the rules, you normally know you're breaking them. Okay. And then that's where the guilt comes in because you didn't have to do that. And then you hurt people down the line or whatever it was, choose some selfish notion, which is one of Satan's biggest sins is selfishness. And that's so it's... You know, when you go and you look at all that and it just comes stems from self, that's a moment where you didn't look to God, you looked to yourself. And that became the God of the moment. Mm. And that's, you know, that's how I kind of view sin. You know, to, to believe in Jesus, yes, I think that's very, I think that's pivotal to salvation. But believing isn't enough. Satan knows who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. He believes too. So it's one of those things where it's a relationship and it's your life changing with that walk with God, not just simply like, oh, I believe in Jesus, I'm fine. Let's go raise some cane over here. You know, it's... So the word guilt, I guess, doesn't bother me so much because I see so much of, one, guilt isn't from God. It was never intended. He never mm -hmm. gave it to you. Mm -hmm. It is a result of sin. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, guilt is pretty powerful in its own. There's a lot of people who, oh, yeah. who don't feel like they do everything they're supposed to do right, but they have some guilt. And that guilt keeps them from becoming or flourishing or right. completely giving their their heart to God. It's a pretty powerful thing. It's really I mean, powerful because we give it to ourselves. Yeah, but it's, but it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's a pretty heavy thing. You know? Yeah. I'm with you. Guilt is one of Satan's major tools. I think so. In keeping mm -hmm. us away from a real faith experience with God. Mm -hmm. If he can keep us feeling guilty about something, even though it might be something that happened 23, 30 years ago, if he can keep that little guilt in here, it keeps you from, from the full connection with God because to be able to let that go and really have faith 
faith in God that that's been healed and cleansed. You know, guilt is a major tool of Satan. Yeah, and you know, and I, I think of the example of my, my father. My father, 82, 83 years old. He goes to church every Sabbath. He lives and breathes. He reads his Bible every day. Well, not so much now because he's blind, but he listens to, to good things every day. He, he prays every day. And the man doesn't think he's good enough. Mm. So what is that? I feel like there's something back there. And I, you know, I don't know what it is, you know, and I don't need to know what it is, but I wish I could convey to him that whatever it is that God forgives him and that he can let that go, you know, it's, you know, he's, he's at the tail end of his life. So, you know, it's sad to me to see that. I think that, I think that that connects with 57 when Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, because not only did Jesus Christ cover our sins, not only did salvation come through Jesus Christ, but, but Jesus Christ reveals the truth about who God is. Mm -hmm. That's his primary mission. When we did the gospel of John extensively, that came up so much that Jesus is the exact nature. I and the father are one. He came to reveal the truth about God. So I, I think that for, you know, there's, there's remorse for, you know, a deed or something you did in the past. And so then when you think about it, you deal with like remorse and sadness and, and some guilt over it, right? Like, man, I still feel bad. At, I left my brother stranded on ski round top for six hours, no way to ski, you know, when I was 14 years old, you know, like, um, and, but that's different than I think, if I may say, the way you described your dad, mm -hmm. this perpetual belief that I'm never good enough in God's eyes. And I think for me, I just live that way. Mm -hmm. For me, that that is what Satan wants people to think is that God is you're never good enough in God. Exactly. And and that was very key to say because yeah. it doesn't come from God, that's Satan. Yes. Absolutely. And you know, and it's like and the thing is is it's sneaky because I gotta remind myself about that. Because mm. you know, we're human. We're so, imperfect. So when you say we're human, we're imperfect, and we have to always kind of remind ourselves of this, right? I think that is what David writes in Psalms 51 where he says, I was born in sin, conceived in iniquity, right? None of us chose to have this distorted lie about God implanted in our minds. We were born into it. We inherited it from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the first two people to actually choose to break trust with God. Mm -hmm. Everyone else since then was born that way, not trusting God. And I think for me, now, to get a little more context what I'm saying, that's why I don't like the word guilt that the message uses, because it implies that I was born guilty. Mm. I wasn't born guilty. I was born terminal. I was born with a condition that I didn't choose. Right? I didn't choose to be born with this notion that I should be afraid of God and I can't trust Him. And when you go back and think about, you know, how we... Mark and I were having this conversation yesterday about the generational, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a curse or what it was, okay. but where, you know, this is going to be upon your yes. head mm -hmm. and your next generation and your next generation and how that physically shows up 
in our I watched DNA. That yeah, I to that, and we talked about the epigenetics. Oh yes, yes, very cool. Yeah, and how that, you know, all is part of that. Yes. Do you want to go deeper into that? Either? No, not really. Okay. All right. Sarah, what do you think? <laughs> You're over there absorbing. What are some of your insights? Facebook with this person who he told he was going to block and had this whole big uh, argument over it and like it just gives a really bad taste about you know this idea that like you know like he's like his idea is like if you if you do these things well you're going to go to hell like you're going to be awarded you know death or worse um, and I think that's just you know, showing us that, like, you know, God, he gives us the victory. Like, we don't, like, it's there available to us. We don't have to do anything. If, if somebody gives you something, it's not often not because you even deserve it or work for it. They're giving it to you because, you know, you don't have to do these things that this kid thinks it is given to you. Um, it's not something we actually have to work for. Hmm. It's interesting how the remedy puts that verse. It says, um, in Give thanks to God for he has given us victory and remedy through our Lord Jesus Christ, who perfectly restored the law of love into humanity. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, don't waver. Be rock solid and let nothing move you away from the truth about God as Jesus revealed. You know, so share, and then I'll share my thought. Go ahead. Share more about that. What do you find interesting? Um, just that that, you know, that's what Jesus' mission was, to reveal the truth about God. And that's where, where victory, freedom, um, understanding his love, you know, that's a whole new, a whole different concept, a whole new life, a whole new way of looking at the relationship with God. 
So what I'm hearing from all of these conversations, maybe in summary, is two views. One is adherence to the rules and and living your life in accordance with them. And the other one is learning to understand who Jesus is and, and, and looking to his character and what he's all about and, and willingly participating in um, becoming like that. And that's the law of love. You have two different laws, the law of sin and death and the law of love. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came to show us what the law of love looks like, what those guidelines look like. I like the word law, guidelines, the guidelines, or a way of being. Yeah, if the, if the word law is a little triggering, you use the yeah. word principles. Principles, there, I like that, yeah. Seth, next to you is actually our mission statement, collective journey mission statement, and I and I thought this was really interesting. Where, um, and this wasn't intentional, purposeful, maybe, but still really interesting. Um, would you mind reading us our mission statement? Okay, go ahead, right, start at the top. Uh, the collective journey is a network of individuals made up of people just like you. We gather together to share in our experiences of life. Worship God's goodness as revealed in Jesus, and seek the healing and restoration of our hearts and lives, all for the purpose of growing loving people by being loving people. Did you hear it? Seek the truth about God as revealed in Jesus. I remember any kind of word it the same way. I thought that was really interesting when I read it. I was like, hey, the mission statement says it like that too. That <laughs> was kind of neat. Absolutely. It's been a good talk. Good. Awesome. So next week, we're going to do chapter 16 and finish up 1 Corinthians. And then the first Sabbath in August, we'll be doing a corporate gathering. We're going to be at Rocky Ridge Park. So bring your bring your outdoor gear, and we'll have a great day out in the country in the woods. And bring your bike, bring your shoes, bring your bike. It'll be good. Yeah. And, um, and then starting in August, we will begin... Book of Acts. So, crazy. Let's uh, let's close. Thank you, God, so much for this amazing conversation, and um, thank you for the insights that you brought to all of us. That we've been able to grow and change, and be healed and be restored into Your image. We look forward to the day, God, when we can see You face to face, and that Your character is perfectly reproduced in us. Bless us as we eat. Bless us. As we enjoy the rest of the Sabbath, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen.